Uh, good evening to all of you, and thank you very much for coming. Lili Nishmas of Imori Haraf Tzvi Ben Rapinchas Miriam, whose tenth yortzeit was was yesterday. It's hard to believe that ten years uh, have passed, and uh, I and my sister and the members of my family remember my father very well, and the passage of time has not uh, diminished the intensity of his memory and of his uh, many accomplishments. Bershos Maradasra, Rabbi Strachler, I see that Rabbi Wiener is here. Masikov, on your recent Simcha, we wish you a lot of Simchas and Nachas. I saw it on the Zoom, it was very And I want to acknowledge the presence of my children and grandchildren, and of course, Yocheved, who is here to join us. Thank the Adult Education Committee of the Shul. Thank Aaron Friedman, and also particularly Menachem Schneidman for all of the arrangements for this evening even including the semi-noisy Zoom that accompanies us. I would like to share some uh, Divrei Torah in my father's memory, and then I want to conclude with some reflections on his life. It's hard for me to remember which stories I shared over the years. I've already spent a number of uh, Yorzai Chiorim reflecting on uh, his accomplishments. So I think I'm going to choose one that I'm pretty confident have not shared before, and uh, hopefully you will find it meaningful. So I'd like to begin by asking uh, four questions. For some reason, I think four questions is appropriate. The goal here is to hopefully give you something useful and meaningful that you'll be able to think about in your own family, Sidarim, uh, over the Yomtev. Anybody not have a copy? Anybody not have? There should be some extra copies. Anybody else not have a copy? Okay. Vayimi Kate Shloshim Shana Arba Mea Shana, top of page one. It's a lot of Hebrew here, but I will translate Everything so that everyone should be on the same page. Like to thank Susan and Michael Richmond, who are sponsoring this evening in commemoration of the Yorzeit of Susan's father, Mr. Salo Schlanger. The Yorzeit Susan, you told me, was today, was today, tonight. Mom is right now. And the Shema should have an aliyah. We remember your father with great admiration and with great respect. I want to thank Lydia and Lionel Zuckier and the family commemorating the 10th Yorzeit of Lydia's father, Aaron Ben Yisrael, Dr. Arthur Rand, Zuchrona Levracha. So we thank you. And Lionel told me earlier today that actually Dr. Rand and Mr. Schlanger knew one another and they had a relationship. So it's pretty incredible that once again, uh, we are together with them at this, uh, at this moment and on this occasion. So the Jews are leaving Egypt. 
And the night that the Jews left Egypt is referred to by a specific phrase in the Pasuk, Leil Shimurim Hu Lashem, Lohotziyam Meeretz Mitzrayim, Hu Halayla Hazela Hashem. And again, second time, twice in the same Pasuk, again, Shimurim Lachobene Yisrael Lodorosa. So Leil Shimurim, and part of the Shir is going to be to try to define exactly what that means, appears twice. Shimurim appears twice in the same Pasuk. So Rashi in his commentary in the middle of the first page defines each one of them and you understand defines each one of them differently because this one must refer to this and this one must refer to this. Lel Shimurim says Rashi second line Shayakadish Barhu Shomer, what does Shimurim mean? Shin Memresh. Shayakadish Barhu Shomer Umitzapelo Lakayem Haftachoso Lahotziam. This was the night that God was looking forward to. Shin Memresh, Shomer Umetzape. He was anticipating. He was looking forward the day that had long been designated for Yitzias Mitzrayim. And Hashem had been looking forward to this day for a very long time. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shomer Umetzape Lo Lekayem Haftachoso. So it's Leil Shimurim, the day of looking forward, the day of anticipation, the day of looking forward to a day that had long been designated for a particular purpose. Shin Mem Reish. What's the second one? Shimurim Lachoben Yisrael Ledorosam. Shin Mem Reish, the second. Shin Mem Reish. Mishumar Uba Min Hamazikin. Means to guard. It means to protect. So there is such a thing called mazikin. I don't really understand what this is. Some kind of evil forces, bad stuff, dangerous, unpleasant, hurtful. But tonight we are protected from the mazikin. Whatever this force might be, it's not relevant on the night of Pesach, because we are mishumar, we are protected. If you look at the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah, both of these interpretations, virtually both of these interpretations appear in the Gemara. Leil Shimurim, number one is Leil HaMishumar Uba Misheshes Yemebereshes, the day that is set aside, the day that was designated, the day that was anticipated, that this is going to happen from way back. God already knew that there's going to be a night on which he is going to uh, redeem the Jews from Egypt. And the second one, Laila HaMeshumar Uba Min Hamazikim, the night of protection. It's a special night, special skula, special schus on this night that we will be protected. Tysus points out in that Gemara and Rosh Hashanah that really everybody agrees that the second one is operative. He quotes a different Gemara where we're not worried about Mazikim because the night of Pesach is a night of protection. So for sure it means the night of protection and it may also mean the night of designation or the night of anticipation. My first question is what's behind this? What does this mean? What is the significance? And how does it express itself? So what does it mean 
in our world that this is the first night of Pesach, maybe the second night of Pesach, is Leil Shimur. Question number two, page two. Shulchan Aruch Paskins that a fundamental aspect of what it is that we recite pretty much uh, every morning, part of the Psuke de Zimra is not recited on Pesach and is not recited on Erev Pesach. The Ein Omrim says the Ramah in Simen and Orachayim, and this is in Hilchos Tefillah, when discussing Psuke de Zimra, says the Ramah, Ve'en Omer Mizmor Letoda, we don't say it Shabbos, we don't say it Yom Tiv. My interest is the May Pesach. Why don't we say Mizmor Latoda? We skip that paragraph on Pesach, and he says right afterwards in the next line, the Lobe'er of Pesach. The reason is because Mizmor Lasoda, the Korban Toda, the sacrifice that was brought when this was recited, this was recited in conjunction with the bringing of this sacrifice was not just a sacrifice of meat, but it was also a sacrifice of what was known as lachme toda. There were also a lot of a uh, lot of bread that was brought. There were loaves of bread that were brought as part of this carbon. That is chametz. Loaves of bread are chametz. And so they didn't bring the carbon toda not on Pesach and not on Erev Pesach because it's chametz. And therefore, we do not recite Mizmar Lasoda. He refers here in Orachayim, Vain Lekaman Simen Tov Chav Tes. So in Hilchos Pesach, he comes back to it again in the middle of page two. Ve'ein Omrim Mizmor Lesoda Be'erev Pesach V'lo Be'yamtev. We don't recite this particular passage. And here, the Mugen Avram explains, based on the Ramah that we saw earlier, Mizmor Lesoda Sifkat and Zayin, it's not just on Pesach, we can't have chametz, but we can't also have chametz earlier on, even on Erev Pesach. So even on Erev Pesach, we're not going to say Mizmah Lusoda, because we're afraid that if we're going to bring the carbon, there's going to be leftover chametz, and that's going to be a problem. My question is, however, that there are some things that we do do, Zecher le carbon total. For example, the Ramah says at the bottom of page two, Venagu lasos sholosh matzos shall say there, Me'isaron Zecher le lachme toda. There's a certain kind of a fine flour that was used for the loaves of bread in the carbon toda, a certain amount that is used. And we use that same amount and that same kind of flour when it comes to the matzos that we eat on Pesach. Zecher lelachme toda. It's based on page three, a Sefer Hamanhid and a Rabbeinu Asher. Both Rishonim, the Sefer Hamanhid who lived in Provence, in the 13th century, the Rush who lived first in Germany and then in Spain in the 14th century. Uh, take a look, uh, for example, look at the Rush on the bottom right. We're now on page three. 
What is the connection between the matzos on the night of Pesach and carbon toda? Because the Gemara says, Maseches Brachos, when do we bring a carbon toda? There are four circumstances. If we experience them, then we should obligate ourselves or feel obligated to express toda means our gratitude, our expression of hakar satov to the Rabona Shalolam. And one of them is if somebody was in jail, uh, inappropriately charged with whatever, and then they're freed from jail. So that's grounds to bring a carbon toda. If you go through the desert and you emerge safely, if you go over the sea, it's very dangerous to go over the sea. Um, if you're sick, if you're really sick in Baruch Hashem, you have a Rafu Shalema. These are the circumstances which mandate the bringing of a carbon toda. One of them is you get out of jail and Baruch Hashem, now you can walk around like a free person. No, that's exactly what we're commemorating on the night of Pesach. So we should, we should bring a carbon toda, but we can't bring a carbon toda because it's chametz. So we're going to have something, Ashkenaz and Sorfas, that covers a pretty wide swath of the Jewish medieval population, the Ashkenazi population. So wait a minute. So now we see, we do see, we do see that we do things to remind us of the carbon toda. I saw this question posed in the Shail Suchuvis Mishneh Sachir, which is on the bottom left. It's written by a very uh, famous author, Rabbi Yisachar Shlomo Teichtal, who was known most famously for another book that he wrote entitled Aim Habanim Smecha. He was a Hungarian Jew, rapidly anti-Zionist, and over the course of the Shoah, began to realize that the centrality of Eretz Yisrael is extremely important and had basically an entire about face and wrote this manifesto, Aim Habanim Smecha, for religious Zionism. And it got a lot of traction, continues to have a lot of traction, Dafka, because he's coming out of the Hungarian Feldanschauung, the worldview that was very anti-Zionist, and his life represents a, a change of heart. So he quotes the Ramah that says that we do matzos, and he quotes the Gemara in Brachos, that the reason why we do it is because this is the night that we left Egypt, and this is the night that we were freed from jail, and so we see, we do see that we do things, Zecher le Korben Toda, now three lines from the bottom left of page three, Mehai Taima Gufa, Lama Lo Nihia Omrim Gamidbar le Soda, Zecher le Toda, Sha'anu Chayavin Al Geula Sapesach. So, how do you thread this needle? We're not going to say Mizmar le Soda, which is Zecher le Korben Toda, but yeah, we're going to do other things. We're going to have a certain kind of a flower for the matzah. We're going to have a certain amount for the matzah, which does remind us of the carbon toda. So, so which is it? Are we going to connect, identify with, bring the image of the expression of gratitude to God for having brought the sacrifice or not? Question number three. It's a beautiful Gemara at the end of Masachat Soto, page four. 
The Gemara here describes this scenario of Priyas Yamsuf. So we know the holiday of Pesach is coming up. The holiday of Pesach has two parts to it. They're the first days or the first day, the last days or the last day. And we have uh, beginning, Zecher, Litzias, Mitzrayim, and then we have Shvish, El Pesach, which is we remember Zecher, we remember Priyas Yamsuf. So what happened at Priyas Yamsuf? So the Jews left Egypt, they're running. And all of a sudden, they realize that Paro is in hot pursuit, and they come up against the sea, and they're in big trouble, because the sea is in front of them, and Paro is behind them, and they don't know what to do. The San Yehara Meir Omer, this is Soto Lamed Vavamed Beis, top of page four, a lot of Hebrew, I'm going to translate. Gisham Yisrael al Hayam. There was a fight between the various members of all the tribes. They had a massive disagreement, right? So picture the scene. Over there, they could already hear the, the hooves of the horses and the chariots of Paro. In front of them is a raging sea. They're stuck. They're right here. And there's a disagreement. Each one wanted to be the first one to jump in. Everybody wanted to jump in. Kofatz shifto shel binyamin. V'yorad le'yam t'chila. I bet you never heard this, Gemara. Kofatz, who jump in? Shifto shel binyamin jumps in. That's the first opinion in the Gemara. The reason why you never heard of it is because it's highly unlikely. Because what's more likely is the second opinion. A few lines down, Amr lo Rabbi Yehuda, lo kach No, 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 that's not what happened. Ella, yeah, they had a disagreement. What was the nature of the disagreement between the tribes? Ze Omer, ein ani yoret I'm not jumping in. And the other one, I'm not jumping in. Nobody wanted to jump in. I'm not chashev enough to jump in. You... You, you're more, you, you should jump in. I'm not jumping in. No, nobody, nobody wanted to jump in. And what happened? Kofatz, now we're back to what our Mora told us in third grade. Kofatz, Nachshon, that I mean, not of the Yorat Leyan Chilo, Nachshon jumped in. Nobody wanted to jump in. Now he gets a lot of credit. He's the only one who wanted to jump in. And then once he jumped in, Miracle happens, sea splits, Baruch Hashem, Shalom al Yisrael, Oz Yashir, Moshe of Yisrael, Sashir Azaz. So I learned this Gemara and I heard this story for many, many, many years and recently began to wonder uh, where did Nachshon get his uh, moxie to jump in? Uh, where did the Jews get this koach? to follow him into the sea. All of a sudden, there's a miracle. Well, who knows? The Pasuk actually says that the winds came and blew the waters. Maybe if they go in, now it happens to be dry, but in seven minutes, the waters are going to come back. How do you know it's going to stay like this? Everybody piles in. Nachshon, everybody. Where does the source of the the strength of, of the optimism, of the ability of the Jews... Something extraordinarily uh, heroic. 
and to be able to follow, to jump in and to know it's going to be okay, we're going to be safe, it's dry, it's going to stay dry until all of us get to the other side. Question number four, final question at the bottom of page four. There's a very interesting medrash on the Pasig of Tichbad Ha'avodah Al Ha'anashim. So the Jews are now in Egypt. The Jews are working very hard in Egypt. And uh, at some point, Paro makes it even harder for them. That until now, they were able somehow to have an arrangement where it was a little ashtikali easier. But then it mamish becomes impossible. And Paro decides to raise the, the temperature of the level of servitude. Says the man, Melamed Shahoyo Biyadam Megilos Shahoyo Mishtashin Bohem Mishabas Lashabas. That in the earlier stage, when it was a little bit easier, they used to have scrolls that they would and they would delight in, that they would enjoy, that they would take pleasure in on Shabbos. They would read these scrolls on Shabbos. Lomar goalon, the See, originally, the Medrash says, that they had off on Shabbos. When they were slaves in Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu negotiated a day off. Paro said, I'll give you a day off. The reason was because they work seven days, the productivity quotient will be diminished because they'll be so tired. So I'm going to give you a day off. Moshe Rabbeinu says, okay, wow, we're going to get a day off. I think we ought to have Shabbos off. And they had Shabbos off. And on Shabbos, they would read these Megillos. They would read these scrolls. Amarlan Paro. So then the next step, what happened? Paro says, I'm sorry, I take it back. No day off. Seven days a week, you're going to have to work. So then there's no opportunity for them to read these Megillos, to delight in these Megillos, to get chizot from these Megillos, because now we're now on a different level. So the last question is, what's, what's going on here? Did you ever hear, did you ever hear of such a story that uh, they had Shabbos off? And not only they had Shabbos off, but they used it in a way that was uh, constructive, maybe helpful. They had Megillus. Vus Megillus, Vanit Megillus, Vus, what Vus for Asort Megillus, had Megillus in Mitzrayim, and they enjoyed, they opened it up, they sat down, they read the Megillah, it was all beautiful. And then Nebuchadnezzar didn't last too long because Paro took it away, but Tali took it away. What's going on? So I have now, I have now four questions. Question number one is, what is, what is Leil Shimurim? So we saw a tube shot in, and God anticipated it, he designated it, and now it finally happened. Or from protection, watching over us. What's what's what does that mean? Lamaisa halacha, lamaisa, my nafkamina. How does it express itself? Question number two is this whole perplexity about the role of the carbon toda, the image, or the association of the carbon toda. So we don't say mizmalasoda, 
because it has to do with the carbon toda, and we don't bring the carbon toda on Pesach or Erev Pesach. But yet there are other things, like we bring the Soron for the three matzos, yes, on Pesach, because that's the night that we left jail, and that's an appropriate time to bring a carbon toda. So we're not bringing the carbon toda, but we're remembering the carbon toda. So which is it? Are we remembering or are we not? Third question is, where did the Jews get the capacity, the ability to just jump in and to stay in and to walk through and not feel threatened? Maybe they did feel threatened, but they went through anyway. And the fourth question is, is, is a mud in the medrash, very strange, unusual. They had a day off, they read Megillus, they had a good time, they relaxed, they enjoyed reading the Megillus. What's happened? So I want to begin by analyzing Leil Shimurik. <clears throat> and I have discovered that there are five different contexts, practical halachalamaisa contexts, where Leil Shimurim plays a role, particularly Leil Shimurim in the interpretation of protection. <coughs> you remember Taisa says in Rosh Hashanah that everybody says, everybody agrees that Leil Shimurim is a night of protection. Mm-hmm. Question is whether it also has to do with designation or anticipation, but Kulam Haidu Vehelichu Vaamru, that it has to do with protection. Where do we see protection? On the night of the Seder, five different contexts. Number one, very interesting, Shibole Aleket. Shibole Aleket lived in France in the 13th century. The question is, why is Halachma Anya said in Aramaic? So I'm sure it's a question that you posed over the years uh, at, the, at the Seder. Hi, everybody. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to my Seder. It's so nice to see you. It's so wonderful. And Sadie. Special shout out. You weren't with us last year. You weren't feeling well. We're so happy that you're back. We missed you last year. What a bracha that you're here. It's so special. And a special welcome to Jason and Jocelyn. Jason and Jocelyn just moved in next door. They're our new neighbors. They never had a Seder before. We invited them to come to the Seder. Jason and Jocelyn, your presence here enhances our holiday celebration enormously. Thank you so much for coming. I hope it will be a meaningful experience for you. And then we make Kiddush, and then Manishtana, and then we say, right away at the very beginning. And we say it in Aramaic, and Jason and Jocelyn don't know the difference, because Hebrew for them sounds like Aramaic, and Aramaic sounds like Hebrew, but everybody else, Aunt Sadie, even Aunt Sadie knows that this is a particular mudna, the why are we saying Aramaic? So the answer that Shibolea Leket first gives is because we want that the Mazikim shouldn't understand what we're talking about. Because if we talk Hebrew, then the Mazikim, and again, I'm not uh, smart enough to know what that means, these evil forces will come and they'll, they'll destroy the Seder. They'll mess up the whole thing. We're inviting everybody to come. They're going to shtip Zaharan into the family gathering, and they're going to wreak havoc on the Seder table. That's the first answer. Ham Acher, third line, so that they shouldn't have an understanding, they shouldn't feel, they shouldn't sense. 
I don't know. They, they talk Hebrew. These these mazikin. They're gonna hear everybody, we're inviting everybody, come on down. If you're hungry, come on down. They're all gonna march in, they're gonna join the party. So you know what? We're not gonna talk Hebrew, we're gonna talk Aramaic, from what is going on. So now we're safe, everything is safe. Says the Shiboli Aleket that that can't be Umari Rabbinyam and Hiksha. That can't be the reason. Because our Rekvarnam are Leil Shimurim. Leil Hamashumar Minamazikim. We don't have to worry about the Mazikim tonight. You're telling me I have to teach Aramaic because they only speak Hebrew. And forget about them. They're not a factor. Because it's a night of protection. So that can't be the reason. First, my first context is that then comes the question. Why do we have Aramaic for Allah Ma'anya? But what is of interest to me is the reason why we're rejecting one of the reasons why we have Aramaic can be because it's a language thing, because it's a Mazikan thing, because there's no such thing. On the bottom right of page five. Priyashma Lamita says the Ramah, the Noagin Shalo Lipros Almitaso. I'm sorry it's so small. I'm really sorry it's so small. I must say, the older I get, the smaller the letters become. There was once a time when I could actually read this. So I blew it up for myself and I'm going to read it to you. The Noagin Shalo Lipros Almitaso Rakparshishma, the Lo Sha'ar Dvarim, Shekorin Bishar Lelos. Why do we say Kriyashmalamita? Kriyashmalamita is that there's a long nusach in the sitter that we should say before we go to sleep on be, in our bed. It's not the Kriyashma that we say in Mayriv, it's another Kriyashma, an additional Kriyashma. We say it because we want protection. Says the Ramah, now tonight, tonight we don't need protection. Ki leil shimurim hu. Min hamazikim, because it's a night of protection. So I don't have to worry about reciting the full entire Kriyashmalamita, because I'm I'm good to go. I am protected tonight. I should say Episashtikal or something to go to bed with a proper frame of mind. So I say Shma, but I don't have to unload the whole wheelbarrow of Kriyashmalamita because it's not necessary. Because it is, uh, anyway, a night of mazikin. The Master Sashekel says the same thing, that we shouldn't say more, because if we say more, then we are indicating that we don't believe that tonight is a night of protection. And so therefore we need to invoke whatever phrases and words and images in order to gain protection. And that's not appropriate, because tonight is a night of protection. Context number three, bracha me'en sheva. So those who come to shul on Friday night are familiar with the fact that after the Shemona Esrei of Ma'ariv, Ein Gevartzot, right before we say Kaddish, there is a whole little thing. There's like a mini, a mini kind of a Shemona Esrei. And there's Magen Avos, and then there's Mekadosh HaShabbos. Where does that come from and why do we do it? So already very, very early on, this comes from Rabbeinu 
Nisim, who was in Kairawan in the ninth century, was looking about very, very early on. The reason is because of Mazikim. Where did they daven on Friday night? Where did they daven Kabbalah Shabbos and Mayrev? They went out into the fields. Now they're in the fields and they're davening. Now somebody is going to come late. Somebody comes late and everybody else has finished davening. They're going to leave and go home and leave Nebuch, the latecomer, in the field by himself. To be in the field by yourself is dangerous. So therefore, what do we do? We're going to tread water a little bit. We're going to add a whole little shtickle section to the davening so that the latecomer should be able to catch up. The latecomer catches up, and then we finish together. We all go home, and everything is wonderful. So just, just parenthetically, it's really interesting that I'm worried never about a latecomer. So I put a whole three pages into the sitter to help the latecomer. He shouldn't be in a position of danger because he's going to be holding in the middle of Shemayneser when everybody else is leaving. So we, uh, we, we paired the davening a little bit. Says the tour, says the Shulchan Aruch, on Friday night of Pesach, we don't say it. We don't say the bracha me'ain sheva. What's the reason, says the Mogan Avraham, bottom left, page five. The lo niskana ela mipnei hamazikin. As I explained to you, the whole reason why this was instituted was to protect a latecomer from Mazikin. It's dangerous to be alone in the field. But tonight, not a problem. There are no Mazikin. So I don't have to say it. The latecomer shouldn't be late anyway. If the latecomer is late, not a problem. He'll hang out. Everything will be okay. He doesn't have to worry. Mazikin ahin, Mazikin aher. There's no Mazikin. Page six. This is uh, something that I don't understand at all. There's a very interesting Tosfos and Brach. Tosfos and Brach points out something that we somehow intuitively feel, but maybe we never put our, our finger on. So take a regular Shabbos meal. Everybody comes to the house. We have Baruch Hashem Orchim. We have a full table, and we make kiddush, and then we go to wash. What happens when you go to wash in each one of our houses? So you line up to wash. So maybe you have one sink, maybe you have two sinks. And the first three, four, five people who wash go to the table and mezitzed. And mezitzed and bevard. You're sitting there till the whole crew unloads itself and comes around the table mezitzed. We're wasting time. We have no mitzvahs. We're not doing anything constructive. You see how Hazal will worry, like, what's going to protect us? What's going to help us? What will stand us in good stead? We're sitting there like a bunch of gunish. I can't say it for Torah. I'm not making a bracha. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting like a goylum. And I'm waiting for everybody else to file in. And meanwhile, they're talking, having a great time. And you'll wonder, why did I go first? Next time is Aliana go first, right? What I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the fool who's gonna gonna have to sit there and wait for nine people to show up. So Taisva says that's why we have salt. There's such a thing called, and I have no idea what this is, 
have a shtickle idea, but I don't really understand. It's called bris melach. Look at Taisa's top right, page six. Mir Rabbi Menachem Hayam Medaktek Ma'od Lahavi Melach Al Hashulcha. We should have salt on the table. Kedisa Bemedrish. Kesha Yisrael Yoshvin Al Hashulcha. Umamtinin Ze Es Ze. Ache Yitlu Yedehem. Right? That, that this happens every Shabbos. We're sitting at the table, we're waiting for everybody else to do Natilas Yadayim. Behain below mitzvos. What happens? Has Satan The Satan says to God, Well, a bunch of Lady Gaya Jews sitting there like a bunch of Gaelim sitting at the table, Gunish. So it's not a good thing. Ubris Melach Megin Aleya. There's some something, some covenant about the soul, which is protection. Let's leave aside what the bris melach is, but it is something that protects them. Says the Shulchan Aruch, on the night of Pesach, you don't have to worry about salt. Survey shows, survey shows, you have salt on the night of Pesach, we have salt all the time, you take, you put the salt, you dip the, our minute is to dip the challah in the salt three times and shake it off. I don't know why it's my father did it, so that's what I do. Some people pour the salt on top. Whatever you do is beautiful and it's wonderful. Salt is a central element. Says the Shochanarch, Veena Minog, Le Tabla Bemelach, he says, Velaila Rishon. At least on the first night of Pesach, we don't dip anything in salt. We have salt water, but we don't have melach. Why? What's the reason? Because the Leket Yosher lived in the 15th century, first had salt at the table, the Osa Melach Alha Matzos Beleil Pesach, the Shana Acheres, second entry on the top left of page six, the next year, Lo Osa Melach Alha Matzos, the Omar Shehuleil Shimurim. I don't need this protective power of salt. So Leil Shimurim, I'm good to go anyway. The final one, and probably the most famous, is opening the door. Opening the door by the second half of the Haggadah, we have to be bench, we open the door. So why do we open the door? Why do we open the door? So the Sefer Amanig, and it's quoted uh, the Yotzer Hagonim and elsewhere, says something really interesting. Uminad Bekamal Makomos, middle on the left side of page six. The Sefer Amanig is Rabbi Vramber of Nasan Hayarchi. I had a quote from him earlier. Hayarchi, Yerach means, means uh, moon. And there's a town in France called Lunel, which is moon. He came from Lunel. There were Chachme Lunel. There were a lot of Gedele Israel who lived in, in Lunel. He was one of them. He lives in the in the thirteenth uh, century, in the twelfth century, and he says the following: middle left, page six. The custom is in many places. We don't uh, close the doors in the rooms that we sleep in, and we extend this. We open up the doors for four and a half minutes at some point in the middle of the Seder. 
It's actually very, a very beautiful image that I invite you to think about and reflect on Wednesday night uh, at your Siddharam. Because this is the time of our redemption. It's Machlex and the Gemara, exactly which month the redemption will take place. But this is the opinion, Nisan Nigalu, we were redeemed from Egypt in the month of Nisan. And it is in this month, Asidin Ligar Dechsev, Dechsev, Leel Shimurim Hula Hashem, Laila HaMeshumar Uba, Misheshes Yemei Bereshes. This is the day that God was anticipating, not just to take us out of Egypt, but down the road, this is the time, this is at least a month, when God is looking forward to redeeming us, period. This is going to be the Geula Shalema HaAsid. Avim Yavu Eliyahu, and when Eliyahu comes, Yimza HaBayis Pasuach, the door is open. The We're going to be redeemed. Elio is coming. Who's Elio? Elio is the harbinger of redemption. Right? We open up the door. We have uh, Elio and Navi, and we have the door open because we're, we're out of here. If I, if the door is closed and Elio he has to go knocking on the door and I have to open the door, it shows that I'm not I'm not jumping. It shows that I'm not pumped. Shows that I'm not ready to go. The door's wide open. Come on, let's just fly right out. And that's why we have the door open. Notice the bias, not just the, the chadarim that we uh, sleep in, but the house, the door of the house is open. So that's why the door is open. So once the door is open, the Leal Shimurim, the Leal Shimurim has to do with, well, Mashiach is going to come. This is the ultimate time of, of redemption. The Ramah says on the bottom right that we have Minog v'leftoach ha-Pesach k'day lizkor shehu Leal Shimurim u'bezachus emunazu Yavo Moshiach the Yishpo Hamaso Al Ha'akum. That it happens at a particular juncture during the Seder, Shvo Hamascha, God should give it to them. This is the time when we're gonna have revenge on all of those who wanted to hurt us and to uh, destroy us. Related to the Leal Shimurim of anticipation of redemption is protection. I don't have to worry about locking my door because uh, the night is a night of protection. Both the Magen Avram, the Chok Yaakov says, don't push it too far. If it's a shtekel dangerous, you can lock the door. Don't, don't be foolish. It's interesting that Chok Yaakov says, the shechicha hezeka de I don't know, you know, what was going on in his town. Kogyako was Rabbi Yaakov Reicher, who lived in France. He lived in Germany. He died in the 1730s. So maybe there were ganavim who were uh, taking advantage of open doors on the night of uh, Pesach. But it's not just hezeka uh, de ganavim. 
it's also danger. It's, you live in a bad neighborhood, so it's really very sweet, but you can close, you can close the thing. So the first question was, what is Leashimurim? And how does it express itself? And I outlined for you five different contexts, practically speaking, where this expresses itself. Number one is the language of Halach Ma'anya. Well, you can't say that it's an Aramaic because we're worried about the Mazikim because we're not worried about the Mazikim. We don't have to say all of Kriya Shema Lamita because we're good to go even just to say Shema. We don't need the protection of the rest. We don't have to add that extra part on Friday night in the davening, the brachame and sheva and the fields, because we're not worried about a, a, a latecomer. The latecomer is going to be protected anyway. Whatever the bris melach is, whatever the power of the soul to protect us, I, I actually resonate very deeply with that image of mm-hmm, we're sitting around the table and mom is nothing, right? Mom, nothing is going on. We're just waiting. There's nothing constructive. So that's, I, I think a lot about it because like the rabbis were worried even at like for, for 16 seconds or 32 seconds, you got to do something constructive all the time. So it can't be that you're just sitting there like that. But I don't have to worry about uh, the Melech protecting me because I don't have any mitzvahs. I don't have to worry about that on Pesach and the issue of opening the door. What do all of these have in common? You all have in common that God is absolutely present and ascendant and powerful and takes center stage on the night of the Seder and on the first days of Pesach. What do we say in the Haggadah? We say in the Haggadah, we say this explicitly in the Haggadah, that God himself is the one who took us out of, of Egypt. Hashem is the one who took us out of Egypt. Hashem is the one who uh, God is center stage. So much so that very famously, Moshe Rabbeinu's name, you which... I'm sure you have uh, encountered before, doesn't appear in the Haggadah. Moshe Rabbeinu's name does not appear in the Haggadah to highlight that it's not about Moshe, that it's about God. So first of all, it does appear in the Haggadah. Maybe you need to get a refund from elementary school when they told you that Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not in the Haggadah. It is, and you have it here on the top right of page seven. Vayaminu Hashem. So, we're not totally forgetting about Moshe, but the point is still, I think, extremely well taken, that when it comes to the story of the Exodus, Moshe Rabbeinu is invisible. Interesting, I quote for you the Rambam on the top left, where the Rambam, the Rambam is describing the obligation that we have to transmit the knowledge of the Pesach story to our children. And it has to be age appropriate. It has to be uh, intellectual uh, level appropriate. And then the Rambam says, the last line in Halacha Beis, if the child is knowledgeable and, and wise, 
Modia, we informed the child, Mashiira Lonu Bimitraim, Venisim Shanaasulonu Ayude Moshe Rabbeinu. That's surprise. Surprise. I actually don't have a good explanation for this because we're so uh, taught from early on that it's Anivalo Malach, Anivalo Sarf, it's not Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not Moshe Rabbeinu. And here the Rambam chooses to highlight Venisim. I want to show you, I discovered this myself for the first time uh, a couple of years ago, how powerful the Baal Haggadah was to avoid mentioning the name of Moshe Rabbeinu. So we have this section uh, on the bottom right in the Haggadah, and then we start launching into Metchila Ovdei Avodazara Hayo Avoseinu, so this is familiar uh, to all of you from all of the Psachim Baruch Hashem that we've already celebrated. Shenemar, then we quote a Pasuk. We quote a few Psukim, and we go to the 24th chapter in Sefer Yehoshua. We focus not on Sefer Shmos, not even on Dvarim, nothing to do with the Chumash, we go shenemar v'achshav kervano amakom lavadosa shenemar v'yomer Yoshua kol ha'am. This is twenty-four Yoshua Sefer Yoshua chapter twenty-four. Komar Hashem loke Yisrael peever anahar Yoshua v'osechem ayolam. We will first obey avodazara perach avri Avraham v'avi nochar v'yavdo Elohim acherem and they worship the foreign gods. And then from there we move, and I brought him to Canaan, and he had the children, and he had Yitzchak, and to Yitzchak I gave Yaakov and Esav, and Yaakov Vuvon of Yardu Mitzrayim stop. And the next paragraph begins, We end the story, we stop the quote from Sefer Yehoshua, Yaakov Vuvon of Yardu Mitzrayim. Now on the left side, I brought you the whole text from Sefer Yoshua. The very next Pasuk. The next Pasuk, we stop at the end of Pasuk Dalit. We're in the middle of the story. We are still in the middle of the story. We didn't get to the Va'achshav Kervanu Hamakum La'avodosa. We got to the of the Avarzara part, and we got to Avram, and we got to Yitzchak, and we got to Yaakov, and now we're out of here. The next pasuk in Yehoshua is Moshe Mitzrayim, and I said Moshe and Aaron, and I said all kinds of plagues on Egypt, and I took you out of Egypt, and I brought you through the sea, and the Egyptians were chasing you, and uh, the sea split, and then you went into the desert, and on and on and on and on. We stopped. I'm Yahakt. Right in the middle of the story. And we stop. At which point do we stop? Right before <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu. Right before Eshlach as Moshe Vesaron. It would have made enormous sense. If you're already quoting from here, why are you stopping in the middle? So I take this as, a, I don't know, maybe I'm over stretching. I take this as a hint. We don't want we don't want to talk about Moshe because it's really all about God. Leil Shimurim is all about God. And in order for us to understand and appreciate it's all about God, 
And the first days of Pesach are all about God. We understand our obligation to express gratitude to God. If you look at the top of page eight, the Gra in his commentary on the Haggadah makes this very, very clear. In fact, makes it clear in a very sharp way. The Lachain Bacholat Sipur, top of page eight, the Lachain Bacholat Sipur Yetzias Mitzrayim, Ein Lanu Zikaron Lizkor. What's the next Rashi Tevis? Chas Vishalom Es Moshe. I mean, this is like unbelievable. You should mention motion at the center. Ki osur, ki osur lanu leshatev shum davar It's prohibited for us to attach anything else to the centrality of God. Chasvishalom, you should mention Moshe. Ve'en Hashem v'achtolui b'Moshe rak b'Hashem the first days of Pesach are all about God. And we need to express our gratitude. So I understand that we don't say, second question, we don't say Mizma Lusoda because Mizma Lusoda, the rabbis tell us, is very locked in with the actual carbon itself. So something which is locked into the carbon, it is Bimakom carbon. It's referred to in many sources. It is in, the, in lieu of the carbon. Rashi and other Rishonim say it was recited. I mentioned it earlier when the carbon was brought in the Beis Hamikdash when they brought the Thanksgiving offering. They recited Psalm 100, Mizmor the Soda, so that because it's so close to the carbon and the carbon had chametz, so that far we don't want to go. But I need to express gratitude. I still have to invoke the total. You can't stop me from expressing gratitude. And so I am going to express gratitude, and I'm going to do so by invoking the carbon toda through the saron uh, and the matzos. That's much further than the actual carbon itself. So you'll tell me carbon toda has chametz, you can't say mizmolosot. But what is bursting out of me recognizing the centrality of God is the absolute insistence or necessity for us to acknowledge the centrality of God and expressing gratitude to him. So I'm trying to thread the needle between this aspect of carbon toda, not because it's too connected directly to the carbon. It is tied directly to the carbon. The other, you can't shut me down from expressing gratitude. So I'm going to do something that will invoke the memory of the carbon toda by extension. If the first days are all about God, the last days are all about human initiative. The last days of Pesach, and we already saw the Gemara, when the Jews are stuck, Paro behind them, the sea in front of them. And what does Hashem say famously? Ma Hitzak Eli, Daber of Yisrael, the soul. I never understood that. Ma Hitzak Eli? What else do you want a Jew to do? Ma Hitzak, of course I'm going to Hitzak Eli. But what does Hashem say? I took care of the first days. Now it's your job. 
to take care of the second days. So this one didn't want to jump in. This one did want to jump in. It's all about human initiative. It's Dafka, not about God. And I want to set up this dialectical paradigm between the first days and the last days. In the past, I have on occasion talked about, and my, my kids and my Enoch know about this extremely well, about the dialectic of our of our Pesach uh, Seder, Chametz and Matzah and Abdos and Chayrus. But here it's a different dialect. So it's about God, all about God. So much so that the Gros says, Has Shalom. It's like unbelievable language also to bring anything else into this equation. And the last days, it's all about us. It's all about us. We're, we're jumping in. We have to do something. So where did they get the strength from? Question number three. Where did they get the strength and the optimism to be able to jump in? So we already know that Jews had optimism while they were still in Egypt. And I bring you the very famous Gemara, one of the most famous Gemaras in the Pesach story in the bottom right of page eight, from Masech Soto at Aleph Amid Beis, Bishar Nashim Sidkonios, Shehoyu Bo'oso Hador, Nigalu Yisroi Mitzrayim. That it was in the merit of the women that we were redeemed from Egypt because the men were upset and the men were depressed and the men were dejected and the men were working very hard and they just couldn't put one foot in front of another and they were totally tired. And the women said, this is not a, it's not a way how to be. Someday we're going to get out of here. We have to be able to maintain the Jewish people. And they were able to arrange that they should become pregnant. And the Gemara says, they gave birth under the apple tree. And we know the women were the ones who said, someday we're done. There is going to be a future. And we have to make sure that there's going to be a people who will be around to perpetuate this future. That's optimism. So already in Mitzrayim, there is this sense of optimism. And there is this sense of looking forward. And there is this sense of somehow we're going to crawl out of here. Somehow it's going to work out. And in fact, what they argued came to be. And so when it came for the Jews to come, the Kriyas Yamsov, they had a that a tradition already of that a track record of optimism. And this brings me to my final source. What are these Megillos? What are these Megillos that the Jews read on Shabbos when they had time off? So I want to summarize Emes Lyakov of Rabbi Yaakov after page eight and page nine. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says something beautifully. I never even heard of this Medrash until I saw this uh, formulation in the MS Lyakov of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. He says that there are a number of chapters in Tehillim that the Jews were reading in these Megillos. And the one that he points to specifically, and he brings a proof that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote this particular one, is Mizmor Shirli Yom HaShabbat. If you read Mizmor Shirli Yom HaShabbat, the Perak that we say on Shabbos, basically it has nothing to do with Shabbos. It's a misnomer. Mizmor Shiliyoma Shabbos has to do with the challenges that the Jewish people as a people and Jews as individuals face 
when they do not experience the palpable imminent presence of God. When God seems distant and when God is far away. That even balelos, whether it's national lelos or individual lelos, we still feel the presence of God. And the next time you're going to read Mizmor Shuli Oma Shabbos, look for how many times it talks about Shabbos. And the entire thing, the entire parak, talks about hanging in there and having faith in God, even when things look bleak. And it is this chapter, says Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, that they had in Megillos, and that's what they read on Shabbosim. What are they going to do on Shabbos? They have Shabbos off. So they wanted to do something meaningful. And they needed Chizuk because they were surrounded by horror. They were surrounded by slavery. They were surrounded by tragedy and disaster. But to have Shabbos off, so they're going to read a shtikalot tehillim. It's going to give them chizuk. So where does the optimism of the Jewish people come from? Came from not only the Nashim Tzidkaniyos while they were in Egypt, but for that period of time, I don't know how long it lasted, when they had Shabbos off, they were able to draw inspiration and strength from these passages of from these passages of uh, of Tehillim. And so I have four questions and I have four answers. And the point that I'm trying to make to extrapolate from all of this is the difference between the first days and the last days. Because what both of these put together mean is that there are two fundamental elements of our human Jewish existence. One of them has to do with God and the other has to do with us. So obviously we have to have faith in God. And obviously, we have to understand that ultimately, the and God runs the world. And we need to acknowledge that and express gratitude to God for that. But it's basically God-centric. And we spend a lot of time davening to God, thinking about God, doing God's will. But also, it's not just enough to sit there and to daven and to shuckle and to do God's will. Obviously, it's indispensable and absolutely non-negotiable, but we have to step up. The second days of Yom Tiv teach us, And this is where I want to, for a moment, tell you a story about my father. I entitled this talk, Seeking Redemption on the Holiday of Redemption. I entitled it that way because I had no idea what I was going to talk about <laughs> when I gave the title. I figured I can't go wrong if I say redemption on Chag HaGaula. So now I want to say that the way to seek redemption on the holiday of redemption, because I feel shtickle guilty that I have to somehow tie it into the title, is that the way to do that is by recognizing both of these elements, the centrality of God, but also specifically what I want to focus on is the centrality of human initiative to get out there and to get the job done by ourselves. We can't just be Sunday on the Rabbi We need Siata Deshmaya, but we have to step up. And if there's anything that my father did in his life was he stepped up. He stepped up when something needed to be done. 
And of course, his Holocaust experiences are well known when he came into Buchenwald and it was really heroically saving Jews, Jews' lives. For 10 weeks, he moved into the Buchenwald concentration camp. And I also talked about when he went to the Soviet Union in 1956, the first group of American rabbis to be allowed behind the Iron Curtain. That's what it was called then. It wasn't the FSU, the former Soviet Union. It was known as the Soviet Union. And so many other uh, examples. I told you the story about when he went to President Nixon to agitate on behalf of Yosef Mendelevich in 1970, also Soviet Jewry. But I want to tell you and conclude with one story about Hungarian Jewry. In the summer of 1956, my father went to Russia for seven, eight weeks. I was six years old. I was actually five years old. And we were in the bungalow colony. We used to go to a bungalow colony every summer. And all of a sudden, at some point, as a five-year-old, it occurred to me that my father isn't there. And I remember asking my mother, and I only spoke Yiddish. I've shared this in the past also. Can I invite English? I didn't understand a word of English. Mamish, not a word of English. And I used to go out in the streets, talk Yiddish to the Gaisha neighbors in the Bronx. And I didn't understand why they looked weird at me. I didn't understand. So I said to my mother, Mami, V is Tati. Mami and Tati. My father was Tati. And Mami said, Tati is gegangen helfen ye. Tati went to help Jews. So I, I, I didn't know what, exactly what that meant. So somehow, okay, now I get it. He's not here. He went somewhere. But that phrase really encapsulated his entire life. Tati is gegangen helfen ye. And when he died, we put it on his matzeva. We scratched into after the acrostic with his name. There's Gegangen Helfen After that summer, in uh, the fall of 1956, so now I'm dating myself. I was a little boy. Some of you may remember. There was something called the Hungarian Revolution. In October of 1956, Hungarian students uh, stage all kinds of rallies in the solidarity with Polish factory workers. And it was really a terrible, terrible situation. The Hungarian police reacted very violently and the Soviet troops poured in and uh, thousands of Hungarians uh, were killed and uh, 20,000 Hungarians were injured. A lot of Jews were involved in the protests. On November 8th, the Eisenhower administration announced that the United States would admit 5,000 Hungarian refugees. And that was a big deal. And this was an about face from the time of the Shoah. During the Shoah, America was not ready to open its doors to invite in Nebuch refugees, but maybe they learned their lesson. It's not clear. Um, my father told me how Eisenhower came to Buchenwald and he took him around Buchenwald. So maybe Eisenhower somehow still remembered that experience of 11 years ago in 1945. He opened up the United States of 5,000 uh, refugees. One day, my father recalled, I received a telephone call from the State Department asking if I would agree to serve as the Jewish chaplain alongside Catholic and Protestant chaplains on one of the four ships that the State Department sent to Germany. That was the closest place. The Hungarian Jews went to a port in Germany. They were going to get on four ships and come to the United States. My father got a call if he would be the Jewish chaplain. This is in um, 
maybe November uh, of 1956, just a few months after he came back, after having been away for eight weeks uh, in, in Russia. So he flew to Vienna, and from Vienna he goes to Austria, he goes to the German port, they board the ship. My father says there were 1,200 to 1,500 passengers, at least 200 were Jewish. Quote, they were bewildered, they were agitated. I had to talk to them to calm them down. One of the travelers was 16 years old. His name was Robert Lindenblatt. I had the privilege of meeting Robert Lindenblatt. He lived in Forest Hills. And on a particular context, he found out that I was in a particular room. And he came over and he told me this following story. And I introduced him to Rafi Medoff, the Dr. Raphael Medoff, who wrote the biography of my father, which I'm using to conclude this story. So Linda Blatt ended up on this uh, boat. He's a 16-year-old. He's a child survivor of the Holocaust in Budapest. It was rough waters, but Baruch Hashem was okay. On the very first day, Lyndon Blatt said, Rabbi Schachter announced that there was a separate kosher kitchen. I immediately applied to work there, figuring it would give me better access to food. Don't be foolish. You work in the kitchen, you know, you get a little extra. So he wanted to work in the kitchen. But it was really uh, complicated. The food was great. They even had bananas and oranges. Growing up in Budapest, you'd get one orange a year. So this was a big deal. Many of the Jewish passengers were indifferent to their Jewish identity, said my father. A number of them, however, were from religiously observant, including a number of Satmar Chassidim. There were a number of Satmar Chassidim who were on this boat on the way to the United States. A few dozen passengers attended the minion that Rabbi Shachter organized. My father said, I spoke to them over the microphone to the whole ship, and I would announce that the whole 1,200 people, 200 Jews, Shachar is tomorrow morning, 7.30, Mencha is going to be at uh, 6.30, I would announce the services. I would announce uh, meet, meetings. I worked very hard. Linda Blatt spent a lot of time with Rabbi Schachter, eating and davening and developing a relationship. <clears throat> My father told me this story a long time ago. And sometimes he would like embellish a, a story. Chas you know, I'm sure there was a kernel of truth, but sometimes he might embellish. I was choshed. But then Lyndon Blatt told me the story, so I knew I was good to go. My father told me that he developed a relationship with the priest. I told you he was the Jewish chaplain. There was a Catholic and a Protestant chaplain. And the uh, Catholic priest, my father became very friendly with him. And he went out of his way to befriend him. My father grew up as a sheltered, see the Shabacharil in Brownsville, uh, Brooklyn. But his army World War II Holocaust experience opened him up. He spent most of his time as an American uh, army chaplain ministering to non-Jews, more so than to Jews. There were two, three percent of the armed forces were Jewish. Most of them were non-Jewish. And he was a chaplain and they came to see him. So he developed a relationship with the priest. On Christmas Eve, he told me the story. A bunch of anti-Semitic Hungarians were overheard saying the following, that all the Jews on the boat are communists and Tonight, we're going to throw them all into the sea. So it's 1,200 to 200. And these are Starke Gesinte Goyim. And they made an announcement that 
they're going to kill the Jews. That night, Christmas Eve, to avenge the crucifixion, they're going to go and they're going to kill the Jews. A number of the Jews were frightened and approached Rabbi Schacht. He was very cool-headed. I'm quoting from Lindenblatt. He said, don't worry, it's a U.S. Navy ship. They can't do anything. What did he do? He went to the priest. And he told the priest, Epis, something is going on here. I don't like this. And you need to stop this. Soon afterwards, they announced the meeting of all non-Jewish passengers. So the Jews got even more nervous. Only if you're a Jew, you're not invited to this meeting. Rabbi Shachter asked Lindenblatt, who was blonde, to infiltrate the meeting and report back to him. The chaplain, Imre Kovach, spoke at the meeting, Lindenblatt said, and he told them, this is what the priest told the thousand non-Jews on the boat, he called the meeting. I heard rumors of plans to attack Jews. Anyone who tries anything will be shot on the spot. I reported this to the rabbi, who was then able to reassure the Jewish passengers. So my father gets this opportunity. He goes and he does something. The Rabbani Shalom is wonderful, and we believe in the Rabbani Shalom. But we have to do something. I conclude with a quote from Lyndon Black. Rabbi Shaka made a very strong impression on me and on all the Jews on the ship. It wasn't easy for them to believe someone saying everything will be fine. They had gone through the Holocaust and then the Hungarian Revolution. In between, they lived under the communists, where they were cowering, afraid to be Jewish. And now here we were seeing for the first time a rabbi who was a model of Jewish pride and affirmation. He said to us, you don't have to hide anymore. You can walk around with the yarmulke. You don't have to be afraid. Rabbi Shakta was decisive, sure of himself. He consoled, he inspired, he lifted up everyone's morale. And so as we enter into the Chag Pesach, there are two parts. Number one, Le'al Shimurim, it's all about God. It's gratitude to God. It's an expression and appreciation of the role of God but it's also about human beings. The last days is we jump in and we do. And I remember my father, this was the motto of his life. Eres gegangen, helfen jeden. Rav Tzvi ben Rav Pinchas Miriam Tehei Nishmaso Tzurah B'Tzurah HaChayim. Thank you very much. for Thank you.